Well, let's go ahead and, hope, ahead and uh, I'll open in prayer really quick, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I want to thank you once again for allowing us to gather here together. Uh, we just thank you for uh, your words that we are about to, uh, uh, to think on and, and speak on. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, give me, again, clarity of speech, um, that you would um, speak through me, because uh, this is in me, this is about you. Um, and I just pray that we can come out of here um, knowing you better than we did when we came in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's an absolute pre- pleasure to be here. We're very glad to be up here. Uh, we've been welcomed so warmly, and uh, everybody is so friendly here, so it's really felt like home. Uh, we stayed with uh, Jerry and Penny, uh, which is fantastic. They've been absolutely wonderful hosts. And uh, if you've never stayed with them before, I recommend it. <laughs> so... <clears throat> That it's it's really good. It's great. <laughs> uh, if you weren't here uh, for Sunday school, uh, we uh, presented what we're doing in Spain during Sunday school. Uh, if you weren't here for that, uh, you missed out. It was it was incredible presentation, uh, absolutely amazing. Laser lights, uh, techni- pyrotechnics, small marching band. So, uh, unfortunately, we can't do that again. So, um, I'm just gonna into God's word at this point. Um, when you start to consider the idea of uh, going into missions, to being a missionary, going to a foreign field, uh, one of the things that really hits you pretty hard up front is um, the idea of, of faith. Who we have faith in, what does it mean to have that faith? Uh, what does it look like when we apply that faith? And uh, early on, I really started thinking about that when we got in here. And so, um, I want to share with you kind of uh, some things that I found in God's Word, uh, what was revealed to me, and hopefully that'll speak to you uh, in, on some level as it did to me. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, for the moment, Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 1 through verse 14. And this is a story that we're all, I'm sure, very familiar with. Um, You'll forgive me, but I'm not the best at uh, creating uh, slides for sermons and everything. I give, like, minimal information, uh, so I'm relying on you guys to um, take notes if you so desire. <clears throat> so I'll, there'll be some points that come up there a little bit later. But um, All right, so let me go ahead and I'll, uh, I'll read here. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram uh, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, and it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. <clears throat> so I happen to be uh, reading this, uh, oh, it's years ago, I would say, when we started uh, getting into our mission's journey. And I really went and dug into this to see, to look at, we, we can all recognize, we are, we're all familiar with the story, we all recognize that Abraham had a lot of faith in God. But I really wanted to um, kind of put that together in a little different structure. I wanted to understand what that really meant. What all was involved with what Abraham was doing here? What are some of the small decisions that he had to make in order for this to happen? So let's take a look. We look in uh, Genesis 22.1. We're going to go back to the beginning of that really quick. God tested Abraham, said, says, Abraham. And Abraham responds, saying, here am I. The first thing I noticed in this <clears throat> that we have to be... Uh, doing is we have to be listening to God. There, there are various ways to listen to somebody, okay? Most, most of you who are, are married will understand that there are various ways to listen to somebody. Uh, there is passive. Uh, ladies, amen, right? There's passive. A lot of husbands do that. Um, there's also active listening, okay? <clears throat> we can tell which is being used at a given time. My wife knows when I'm listening passively to her or when I'm listening actively to her, Right? Um, I always thought it'd be a great idea for somebody to come up with a restaurant called Yes Dear. Why? Because so often uh, your, your wife might be speaking to you in the background. And she's, you know, she, I don't feel like making dinner or stuff like that. And you're kind of focused on something else. And she'll say, where would you like to eat tonight? And you say, Yes Dear. Because we're not really listening. That's passive listening. Active listening is different. We recognize that. When we're listening actively to somebody, we respond. We either ask questions. We acknowledge what they say. We repeat what they say. We all know what the difference is. What I found interesting here is Abraham is actively listening for words from God. So when God calls his name, Abraham immediately says, here I am. He doesn't, he doesn't get confused about who it is. He doesn't, he doesn't misunderstand what's being asked. He's like, yeah, I'm right here. What do you need? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. So that's the first thing I noticed is that, uh, that I need to be actively paying attention to what God's trying to tell me. I need to be seeking out. I need to be ready to listen for when God calls me, and then I want to hear the instruction is going to give me. <clears throat> God proceeds to give Abraham instruction at that point. And if we look at <clears throat> verses 3 to 13, he gives him quite a bit of instruction. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and we'll, we'll take a look at some of the things um, here. He, he obviously tells him he wants to take his, his only son Isaac and offer him up. 
So there are some things that we notice about the way in which, thank you, my lovely wife, there are some things that we notice uh, that Abraham starts to do in his obedience, okay? One of the things I saw in there is Abraham rises early in the morning, okay? He's been asked to do something, you know, for a lot, I mean, really very difficult to do. I mean, that's understating it amazingly. <clears throat> He's been asked to offer up his son, Isaac, his only son, right? And he arises early the next day, early. So if that were me, I have a son. He's in the nursery right now. His name's Austin. Um, if I heard God say, Chris, I would like for you to offer up your son, Austin. I'd be willing to hit the snooze alarm a few times. Um, I don't know that I'd want to be in a hurry to get out the door. I don't know many people that would. This is not an easy thing to do. But Abraham gets up early. He brings the appropriate equipment with him. He brings the wood. He brings a knife. He knows the journey is going to be three days. He, He basically obeys in every facet he can think of. There are so many things in which I've done myself where I've decided this isn't something that I really want to do, so there are things that I'm going to do on purpose to make it a little bit more difficult for me to follow through with this. Okay? We, I'm sure we've all done this before. Right? Here's a great example for you. Uh, I remember I was asked one time uh, to uh, uh, be involved in uh, um, watching some kids. So I don't Kid, when they're not my kids, uh, generally not interested. Is a great way to put. That's it's kind of a until they hit like the their teen years, then I'm like, so sweet, you can speak. So um, that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. So I was asked if I'd be able to watch some kids. So the first thing that I try to do is I look at my schedule. You know, and I try to imagine anything that I could, you know, well, uh, there's, there's, there's got to be something going on. I'm pretty sure my wife has something going on. Uh, there's something, I'm sure. Um, so I'll go talk to my wife, and she's like, we have that day open. Oh, man. Um, okay. Um, so, you know, then, then I'll say, okay, I, I, yeah, I, I guess tentatively, uh, tentatively I'll do that, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a busy guy, you know, so you never know. Um, there are things that we do to kind of interfere with the idea of things that we aren't super excited about. I can't, again, is Abraham excited about what's happening here? Certainly not. Nobody wants to have to do this. But I found it amazing when I started reading through this of how he responds to that request. He gets up early in the next morning and he gets himself ready to go. The other thing he does, and this is a little bit same as the previous point is he he removes the temptations that could be laid in front of him to not follow through and not follow through at all there are some things that I, I started to look at differently on this so Abraham at the time he's asked to do this is 110 years old his son Isaac is a teenager okay? uh, we have teenagers in here right Teenagers, can you raise your hands? They're all up there. All right, there's the teenagers. Do we have any 110-year-olds in here? No. So far, I've never received a hand on that, but maybe one day. Um, 
one of the first things that I, that I wondered is, I always wondered, how, how much did Isaac know about this process? And the reason I ask that is, Isaac has grown up in this household, and Abraham knows that Isaac is to be, he's, he's the promised son, the one that he was waiting for for so long. Okay, God has promised him, you will have offspring that it's countless as the sands of the sea, the stars in the heavens. And so he finally has Isaac, right? And I've wondered, has that ever come up in conversation in the household? I mean, does Isaac know this? Does, does Abraham say, son, let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell about how you came about. You, your mother, you mean so much to your mother and I because God promised us we were going to have a son. And this is how he furthered that promise. I don't know if Isaac was aware of that or not. It's, poss- it's a strong possibility. He may know about that. The reason I also wonder that is because if Isaac knows something about this, I'm wondering if, he all, if Abraham also told him before they were headed up uh, to sacrifice Isaac. He said, uh, Isaac, um, we got something to do here that I need to talk to you about. Scripture doesn't say. We don't know. But the reason I wonder is Abraham is 110 years old. Isaac is a teenager. If I'm a teenager, I can take out a 110-year-old. I'm pretty, pretty sure I can. The teen guys, you feel the same, same way? Get pretty good about that? Okay, they all feel pretty good about that, so that's good. That's good. So it seems like it would be a rather one-sided operation. In my mind, I just wondered, did, did Abraham have to wrestle his son and tie him up? Or was this faith not only on the father's part, but the son's part too? Did Isaac get up the top mountain and say, okay, dad, let's do this. We, have, we both have faith in the same God. We both understand what God's promise is. So let's do this. I don't know. That's speculation. It doesn't say. But it says a lot about faith. To even ask the questions and wonder how that's working. The other thing that uh, Abraham does that I thought was really interesting in here, it talks about how he left his servants at the bottom of the mountain when they got there. He asked them, he goes, you guys stay here. My son and I are going to go up, and we're both going to come back to you. We'll both return. Now, there's, there's a number of reasons uh, why he could be leaving his servants, be, servants down there. Now, I think we have a different idea of servantship as opposed to the way they did back then. Oftentimes, the servants were, um, uh, they, they were usually paid. These weren't necessarily people who were slaves. They were servants. They were paid people. They were somewhat a part of the family, right? So they had some sort of relationship with Abraham and Isaac and the family. Uh, it's not like the servants were just guys that hung out in another tent somewhere, um, and we're all, you know, just we're on the beck and call. I want some water, you know. Um, they usually had some sort of relationship. If that's the case, if Abraham brings up those two servants and a donkey, and he brings them up to the mountain with him, and Abraham says, all right, I'm going to tie up my son, what are those servants going to do, probably? Seems like you'd, they would interfere. They'd probably want to stop him, all right? Wow, Abraham, the 110-year-old guy, has lost it. He's gone off the deep end. He's trying to tie up his son. He's going to offer him up. We've got to stop him. But Abraham, wanting to be sure that he follows the word of God, that he obeys 100%, says, 
I want you guys to wait down here because I don't want you interfering with what I need to do. I have to obey God, and I don't want you to stop me from doing that. It's a small thing that we read past in this story. We, we run over it. Oh, I only left him down there. That's great. On to the next thing. But when we really look at it, that's a huge step of faith on his own. He is wanting, he has a desire to follow what God is asking him to do to the point of, I'm going to make sure there are, there's nothing that gets in the way of that. So I'm going to leave my servants down here. That's another area that, you know, I might have said, you know what, servants, why don't you come on up and, and have a couple of clubs while you're at it. You can whack me if I try to do something. Yeah, you know, that's something that maybe most of us would find a reason to <laughs> stay away from. I also became aware that Abraham was very confident in the promises that he received from God. He understood what they were, and he had confidence in those. Let's take a look, actually, in, uh, in Hebrews. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter, chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. I'll give you guys a moment to get there. All right. Chapter 11, verse 17. I'll start there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him uh, from... Whoops, sorry, I lost my place. There we go. Um, even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham understood that God had made a promise, and he even understood that if God really is going to uh, hold true to his promise, then he can bring Isaac back from the dead. I can follow through with this. I mean, I do this, and he just, Isaac comes back from the dead. We're golden, right? That is so much confidence in a promise. To, to bring it out that far. Most of us would have become like the, the, the helicopter parent, you know, the really hovering, sheltering parent that's, you know, by your kid all the time. I mean, if I had received a promise that says, this is your son, and from him the nation of Israel will come from, essentially, right? Uh, oh, okay. Watch out for that stone. Oh, don't touch that. You don't want to touch that. That, that might hurt you. I, how protective might you be of your son if that's the promise you have? But a Abraham understands it's not my responsibility to, to protect my son that way. It's God's responsibility to protect my son that way. And he's given me a directive and so I'm going to follow through with it. And I understand that God's made a promise. He's not going to renege on that promise, which means Isaac can certainly be raised from the dead. But what does he understand raising from the dead to look like at this point? Well, let's look at the kind of sacrifice that Abraham was talking about doing here. Um, the type of offering that's put in there, when you look in the Hebrew version, the type of offering that he was going to make was referred to as olah, O-L-A-H, is the Hebrew word for the type of offering. Not all offerings are the same. Okay? They have different ones that they do at different times. Sometimes they use a portion of the animal. Sometimes they use the whole thing. 
things like that. The one that they're using here is called an olah offering. Olah is a Hebrew word, essentially that means that which goes up. The way this offering was done was you would take the animal, you'd lay it on the altar. Remember, this is, these, these are the motions that Abraham's going to go through. Okay? Most of us have a picture of Abraham standing over Isaac with his arm up in the air like this. Uh, that's not very likely. Usually what they did is they reached under the animal's chin and they cut here and let the blood drain out. So probably he laid Isaac on the altar and held his chin up and held the knife right there. The next step in this type of offering was that the entirety of the offering was to be burned. And when I mean the entirety, that means bone, everything. So all Abraham was expecting to have left of his son, his only son, was a pile of ash. That was it. That's all he was expecting because of the type of offering that he was going to be making. It's one thing to lay somebody down and take a life and see a body and say, Lord, I'm ready for you to bring him back. It's another thing to have nothing but a pile of ash and expect the same thing to happen. Wow. Wow. That is unbelievable faith on Abraham's part. God's going to raise my son from the dead, and all I'm going to see at the end of this is a small pile of ashes. But somehow God is going to make good on that promise and bring him back to me. We know how the story ends. We know that Abraham ties up his son. We know he lays him on the altar. And we know he has his arms stretched out and a knife at his son's throat when God says, stop. The other thing I find interesting in here is I've, I've heard many times, and again, this is speculation, but I've heard many times that people were like, oh, he was probably so grateful to hear that, and I'm sure he was. But I also think he wasn't expecting it. He had done so many things up to this point to ensure that he followed through on God's command that I honest to goodness think he was surprised to hear God say, stop. I don't think he reached his arm out. I don't think he hesitated. I don't think he was waiting for a word from God. I think he reached his arm out and, was, and it was, he was going to take the next step. And then God had to say, whoa, whoa, hold on. And Abraham was like, okay, yep, here I am. You know, I think he was certainly relieved, but I don't think he was expecting that to happen. I mean, let's just look at the pattern, right? Everything to this point has been meticulously laid out by Abraham to make sure that he follows with every step of what God wants him to do. And he believes that God can raise Isaac from the dead. So why is he expecting God to stop him? I think he's honestly surprised. Well, what, is, what does this do for us? What, what do we gain out of 
looking at this and how, how, does, this, how does this help us? We can actively listen to God. God communicates us in numerous ways through his scripture, through people we talk to, other believers. And we can actively listen to God and make sure that we're obeying. And when he does speak to us and asks us to do something, then we need to obey. We need to obey promptly. We need to get up early, essentially, early the next morning and be ready to go. We need to obey fully. We need to take out the temptations that can get in the way of us changing our minds, not wanting to do it, getting lost. We need to remove those things away from ourselves. And we have to have confidence in the promises that God has made to us. We need to understand, we, we, God's promised us things too, right? We have promises in God's word. We need to understand what those are and have confidence in those. Let's go into um, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's take a look at something here. I, this is the only one that I ended up not marking in my Bible with a tab, so uh, I'm turning there just the same. There we go. I want to go ahead and go through verses uh, uh, 3 through 14 in here. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were in, uh, the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Boy, there's a lot in there actually about how we've been blessed, how we've been chosen, and about how we have certain promises. Does anybody remember hearing the word inheritance in there? Yeah? We have an inheritance that's been guaranteed to us. We haven't obtained that yet, but we have an inheritance. Has anybody uh, has anybody received an inheritance at any point in time? Okay, some, some people have. Um, and most of us, um, it's, it's probably, we probably didn't have parents who were, who were vastly wealthy or anything like that. Um, but some people do, right? There are some people who have parents who have uh, large amounts of money, right? And so they know, they have a certain level of confidence that when their parents pass, then they have something unbelievable coming to them, right? I, I've never understood what it is to have 
mind-boggling wealth, okay? Most of us don't understand that, right? I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe all of you do, uh, but uh, most, of us, most of us don't. And so I, 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 I wanted to get something of an idea of, of what that meant, you know? I, most of us, are, we're, we're used to budgeting and, and keeping track of finance. What, what does it mean to, to just have, like, some a wealth that's just mind-boggling? So I thought, who's a good person to, 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 to find on that? And I thought, well, you know what? I, I, there's an athlete who probably makes, he brings in the most money in endorsements than, than a lot of athletes, uh, Michael Jordan. Okay, we've all heard of Michael Jordan. Um, I found something on him, and, and, and this, is, this gives you an idea of what mind boggling wealth really is, okay? At least in physical terms. Michael Jordan retired with $40 million in endorsements. That means that Michael Jordan makes $178,100 a day whether he's working or not. If he sleeps seven hours a night, he makes $52,000 while he sleeps. If he goes to see a movie, it'll probably cost him about 10 bucks. That tends to be the average. But while he's watching that movie, he'll make $18,500. If he decides to make a five-minute egg, he'll make $618 while he's boiling it. (laughs) He makes $3,710 while he watches a half-hour sitcom. He'll probably pay around $200 for a nice round of golf. But while he's playing that round of golf, uh, he'll actually be reimbursed $33,390 while he's playing. If you were given a penny for every $10 that Michael Jordan made, you'd be living at about $65,000 a year. During the Summer Olympics, while watching the 100-meter dash, what's that, like the the world record, like four seconds or something? It's really fast, right? He made $19.60. Uh, while the common person is spending about $20 for a meal and his, uh, in one of his Chicago restaurants, um, if he were to have that same meal, he actually makes $5,600 while he's eating it. He makes $7,415 an hour more than minimum wage. <laughs> if he wanted to save up for a new Mercedes 57S, it's a $356,000 car, by the way. The poor man would have to save for a whole two days. I can't comprehend having that kind of money. I don't understand that. But the great thing is that in, in our spiritual life, we have a Heavenly Father who is incredibly wealthy in grace and mercy, and we're inheriting that stuff. We have, that's, that's our inheritance. It, it blows my mind. It, it, the wealth, the spiritual wealth that God has for us is outside of our comprehension. It, it's beyond what we can imagine. By the way, if Michael Jordan saved 100% of his income for the next 450 years, he still wouldn't have the kind of money that Bill Gates has today. Holy cow! <laughs> And God goes beyond that for us, right? We're talking to God who is in control of everything. He's in control of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. 
we, these are the promises we have. And so when we can respond in faith with the confidence that we're in the hands of a loving God who has made promises to us and he intends on keeping those promises to us, we can react in the same faith that Abraham has, right? There's no... Why, are we, why do we fear? Why do we fear what's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. We know God has the best in line for us. He's waiting for us to follow him and obey him. He's waiting for us to follow those tracks so he can give us that inheritance, so he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And add to that, say, you're an adopted son, my son, my daughter, welcome home. I'm not a special person. I don't... My going to Spain is not because I'm a spiritual, I'm a spiritual giant, because I'm not. It's not because I have this incredible idea of spirituality or faith. I don't. I'm just like anybody else, probably worse off than a lot of people. I go to Spain because God asked me to. Because people need to hear him. Because they all deserve the same inheritance I have. Not just me. I can't be selfish with it. He intended it for everybody. If I have brothers and sisters that need to come back home, I want my brothers and sisters to come home. Pray that as you guys go out to your missions, your mission fields here in Ferndale, I pray that you feel the same way. This city is full of your lost brothers and sisters. God wants to bring them home. And if he can work through you, pray God, let him. Let him. We have promises and we can have a strong faith doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. But we know how it ends. Let me, let me close in prayer. Lord, I just pray for... I pray for all of us here today. As we try to reach the people around us, as we try to allow you to work through us, it's not what we do. Uh, we're just, we just want to be along for the ride, Lord. We want you to use us in the way that you've chosen. We want to be guided by you, Lord. And we pray that uh, we wouldn't let ourselves get in the way. That we wouldn't think we have better ideas, that we have better tactics on how to do it, but that we would just listen to you and say, Lord, use us in whatever way you see fit. Lord, I thank you for the people in Spain that we're going to meet. Lord, I pray that you would begin preparing their hearts today so that when we go there and we meet those people, that they're ready to hear your words, that they're ready to come back home to you, and they're ready to bring their brothers and sisters back home to you as well. Lord, I just pray all of these things in, in your blessed name. Amen.